if you're talking about young men in the sport, that's how they're referred to. They're referred to as young men. They're not referred to as boys, whereas young girls or young women are referred to as girls. Why not young women or just women? You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Glossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Calling all women who love their ride. I would like to introduce you to a -a one-of-a-kind women's motor fest. You will not want to miss this sisterhood celebration of women-owned whips, cars, trucks, motorcycles, ATVs. If it has a motor, it belongs. Ladies, this is our motor fest. Boys are welcome to attend, but the spotlight will be owned by the women in their whips. Check out all the details by visiting womensmotorfest.com. Aaron Vogel is in the driver's seat today. Erin is a professional race car driver and performance driving instructor. She started going to the racetrack with her family at the age of 25. And by age 30, Erin and her dad decided to launch a race team. In 2017, she got her first podium, and since then, she has been unstoppable. She was the first female driver to win a race in the Pro-Am category globally in SRO competition. Erin hopes to encourage and inspire young girls and women to get into motorsports. Now let's sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Erin Vogel in the hot seat or driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Erin? I'm well, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me on the show this week. I'm glad you're on here. I've been watching you on Insta for a while now. And it's one of those things where the stars finally aligned and here we are having a conversation about an industry that we both love, but yet two completely different things in it. So that's part of the fun. Yeah, totally different sides of the coin. It's fun to meet people from uh, other parts of the industry and get to have a little chat and uh, connect in ways that uh, we don't get to on Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. So There's a couple things that fascinate me about your journey. And before I dive into that, the audience and the listeners heard a little bit of your background, but I want to kind of go back early on. Now, you actually started your racing career, and dare I say a little later, right? It's all relative, right? You were, what, 25? Yeah, I was uh, 25 when I first got on a racetrack. Um, but I really wouldn't say that I even started my racing journey until I was 30. Um, that was when I finally got in a race car and got wheel to wheel. Prior to that, I actually said I was never going to go racing. So yeah, I mean, not as, you know, there are people that have gotten their start later than I have, but even just among the women that I know that are racing at the level that I'm racing at, I definitely got started later than they did. Um, and it's been a fun journey, but a lot of hard work. Some of them are 11, 12 years old right? They're like carting at, they're not even pubescent yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They've had the opportunity with as young, really young people before your brain is like so set in its ways to get in a cart and both train the racing and the driving skills. And I, you know, I definitely feel the lack of that myself. 
What made you change your mind? Well, I think it was really because my dad was pressing me to become an instructor at HPDE, and I realized that if that happened... Explain what that is. Okay. (laughs) Just for our listeners so that they know what that is. So HPDE is the High Performance Driver Education. A lot of car clubs, like uh, I got started personally at Audi Club, but there's BMW Club and Porsche Club, and there are private track days like Chin Track Days, so many more hooked on driving here in the West that put on... Uh, educational events where you can take your sports car to the track and learn to drive it in a performance setting. And then if you do that long enough, you may eventually get invited to be an instructor. So when that happened for me, I realized that I was... Let me ask one more question, Erin. Yeah. This is a teachable moment because here's where I like pull the reins back on my guests where it's like, hold on, you live and breathe this. Not everyone else does. What's the purpose of those classes? So... It's just to make you a safer driver. I mean, it's to have fun and experience your car as well, but to make you a safer driver and to be able to experience racetracks. I think for a lot of people feel like this inaccessible thing that only pro drivers get to go do. But I mean, really, it's for anybody. And especially if you have a sports car. I mean, even if you don't, if we had, we've had like Priuses and Camrys and stuff on track too. But it's just to learn about the limits of your car and to learn about the limits of yourself in a performance setting that's also safer than doing it on the street, like in a canyon or, you know, where there's traffic going both directions and, you know, motorcyclists and cyclists and different things. So it's a safer setting where everyone's going the same direction. Everyone's hopefully kind of on the same page. Yeah. I cannot emphasize that enough to people, especially, and this is men or women. And I wanted to kind of step back a little bit and have this conversation, dive into this just a little bit, because just because you can afford to buy a high performance car doesn't mean you know how to safely drive it because driving a Camry is a lot different than driving an NSX, which we'll get there. I'm super excited to pick your brain about that. So just a little precursor listeners, but it's just very different. You have to almost relearn how to drive. So true. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the hardest thing for people is that, and for myself included, when I went to the racetrack is that you spend all these years driving on the street for most of us, you know, most of us can't really afford to go for time and financial reasons um, until we're a little older and you think, well, I'm a driver. I've been driving 10 years or 15 years or 30 years or whatever. And you, you think you know everything, but you get there and you realize a lot of what happens on the racetrack and a lot of the skills that make a car make your driving of the car safer are totally the opposite of the habits that we learn on the street. And those habits on the street are still, there's reasons for them, right? And they're not necessarily bad habits. They're just different habits. And and I think it's really good for the brain to learn to do things in different ways, you know, to understand that, well, braking can look like this or it can look like this. And it makes you a more flexible, adaptable driver just all around. So yeah, I'm a huge advocate of HPDE and I'm still involved heavily with my Audi Club local chapter and I still teach and get in the car with people because I just feel like it's so important. Kudos to you for getting in the car with people. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd be able to do that. Now, this is out of pure curiosity because I think it was Martina Kwan that I asked this. I think for some reason, I think that she sits shotgun sometimes a lot when she's teaching. Right. She does. Yeah. So I remember asking her in her interview and I said, do you notice any differences between riding with women and riding with men in these situations, in these trainings? And I'm just curious. I know what her answer was. 
right? Yeah. What's your answer? Because I know you've had the opportunity to sit with both, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think there are a few exceptions where, you know, personality trumps gender for whatever reasons. And, you know, certainly men and women can share certain traits, but yeah, in general, it seems that the women are uh, a little more open initially to taking your instruction. Sometimes though, they're a little bit less able to understand. I think sometimes men have had more of an opportunity to go hoon around on the street a bit and women don't always get that opportunity as young people. And of course, the biggest thing, and it's gotten better as I've done it longer and probably as I age a little myself, but I certainly have gotten, and I know that most women have gotten that look like when you're paired with a new student, if it's an older male, particularly, they're like, oh, you're going to be my instructor. What am I going to learn from you? You know, (laughs) so that can sometimes be a barrier you have to overcome and get them to understand that they actually can learn a lot and it can still be a fun experience. And I'm not here to hold them back. I'm not going to be their mom and be like, you can't do that. You can't do that. I'm going to be like, yeah, go faster. Let's do this. But let's do it smart (laughs) and let's build the skills, you know, because I want to go fast too. That's why I'm in this sport, right? But yeah, there is a difference. And I think sometimes too, the women start out a little slower not all of us. I don't think I did, but I think a lot of women do. And so I think that helps too with things. Um, actually, Martina's boyfriend, Dwayne Dement, has a saying that it, one of the hardest things to do in motorsports is to slow or in racing is to slow a fast driver down long enough for them to learn a new skill. And it, you do, you really have to do that. Like to learn something, you kind of have to back it up a little bit, which can be so hard because you just want to push, push, push where that's our personality type, I guess, most of us racers. So it can be good to have a female student who comes into it going like, look, I know I don't know anything about this sport. So I'm just going to go slow and I'm going to listen. And, you know, sometimes by the end of the day, they're like four or five times faster than they were. And I mean, that can happen with men too, but I see it a lot more in women just because it's kind of a different mindset coming in, I guess. Yeah. It's like a learning mindset. Yeah, exactly. I don't know any other way of putting it. When you were in those moments, I imagine you felt it when student would get assigned to you. And if it's an older gentleman, maybe it wasn't clearly said, maybe they said something, but you felt it, I'm sure, right? Both ways. (laughs) Did any part of you just want to be like, here, sit shotgun, let me show you how it's done. And like, just want to scare the shit out of them. (laughs) Oh, of course. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, are you ready to listen now? Yeah, of course. And sometimes we get to do that, which is good. But a lot of times we don't get to do that, right? So especially if it's a more advanced student and they're like, well, I've been doing this for a while and you're so young and what am I going to learn? And you're a woman. What am I going to learn from you? Or a girl. You know, I don't even think they see me as a woman. Sometimes I think they think I'm a girl. But I had that conversation with my dad recently, Aaron. We were at Good Guys National Hot Rod here in Columbus, Ohio this past weekend. And he pointed over there. He's like, oh, the girl's over there. And I look over there. And these are women probably in their 30s and 40s. And I'm like, Dad, those are women. He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, they're women. Yeah. And they're in their professional setting. They were in a vendor's booth. They were, right? Right. I'm like, what if someone at work called you a boy? Would you be offended? Absolutely. He's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, why is it different for women? Like, at what point have we earned the right to be called a grown-ass woman? (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I still like to be called Miss if I'm in in like a setting and someone's like, oh, Miss, here's your keys for your, you know, the valet or whatever. And I don't really want to be called ma'am, but I definitely want to be thought of as a woman, like as an adult, you know, I mean, I am trying to retain my youthful energy, of course, and my 
usable appearance or whatever. But yeah, but there's a certain immaturity thing that's conveyed by the use of the two different words. And it's, yeah, it's important to to do that. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've totally had that experience. Most people won't say anything to the organizers about me, but you know, I'll get kind of a look or a sense of the fact that they're questioning the relationship or how that's going to go. But I did have a gentleman one time who went to the event organizers and I don't think he knew that the event organizer was my dad because (laughs) we don't look that much alike, but uh, my grandmother's Mexican and my dad got the dark skin and I got my mom's Irish skin. So we don't really look alike. And he said something about having me as an instructor. And my dad was like, well, maybe just, just go out for like one session and just see how it goes, you know? And we ended up actually having a really great time. And by the end of the weekend, he came to me and he told me that you know, he was like, I have to thank you. I really went into this weekend. I mean, he, he told me to my face, I went into this weekend thinking I wasn't going to learn anything from you. And actually I got faster than I've gotten in my last couple track events. And I, you told me things that no one else had ever talked about with me. And I actually learned a lot and I just wanted to tell you that I was wrong. And so that was kind of a cool experience. And now we're good friends and he's a big, you know, supporter of our club and we see each other at every event. And it's, it's, so it's good to have those stories because that's not always the way it goes. Right, right. And Aaron, I want to highlight what you're saying right here. And I say it all the time, Femcanic Garage in this movement of bringing women into motorsports is not about anti-men. It's not like no. at all. Majority of the time, the mentors and developers and biggest cheerleaders are men. But see what that story you just shared, and I want to emphasize it to particularly the female listeners, this is why it's so important to keep showing up because you never know when you're going to have an opportunity to open someone's eyes. Just like this weekend, I opened my dad's eyes and not to criticize him about it or get in a fight. It's nothing like that or to cause conflict, but it's to get men in this example to pause and question what they always thought to be true. And in this case, men are the only ones that can teach me something really valuable to reduce my track time. Yeah, exactly. I think some of the best partnerships I've had in my journey have certainly been men. And some of them are men whose minds I had to change. Some of them were men who had already worked with women and knew what we were capable of. I should say that we were equally capable. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and even it's funny that you tell that story about your dad, because I had a similar one with my dad earlier on when I did the 25 hours of Thunderhill with Christina Nielsen and Aurora Strauss and Ashton Harrison and my friend, Laura Ely, you know, it was five women. And early on, he was like, oh, you and the girls, you and the girls. And I was like, well, actually, we're women. And he was like, Oh, well, I never like thought about it like that. And so he would, he, you know, he still kind of wanted to say girls, but I would see him catch himself and, and redefine what, how he was thinking of us. And by the end of the weekend, he was like, yeah, you know, I get that that. It's not about being petty, right, Aaron? No, he just realized that it made a difference in sort of the seriousness level somehow to just change that one word. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it. If you're talking to a sponsor, right? Right. Oh, the girls. Versus you're talking to a sponsor asking for thousands of dollars. We have a team of women. Right. We have a team of girls. You don't say in NASCAR, we have a team of boys. Never. (laughs) Ah, no, pass. I'm not going to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Right. If you're talking about young men in the sport, that's how they're referred to. They're referred to as young men. They're not referred to as boys. Whereas young girls or young women are referred to as girls. You know, why not young women? you know, or just women. Really, to me, if you're out of 
probably high school, even if you're in high school, maybe, I mean, if you're out of middle school, you're probably not really a girl anymore. Let's be honest. Right. You're a young woman. I refer to my, she's 15 going to be a freshman. She's five, eight. And she is in my eyes, a child in a grown woman's body. Right. But there's development and maturity that still has to happen, but she's a young lady. She's not a child anymore. Yeah. And if we want to have a word, I guess that's in between girl and woman, I suppose lady is not the worst choice. And I told my dad that actually with a group of women that I drove with, as I said, you could also refer to us as ladies. And I think that would be okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Just a, you know, a level of, of respect, I think that comes with, you know, how you label things that, you know, I'd like to see young women in the sport be referred to as young women, just like their counterparts are referred to as young men. Absolutely. And it's not about being petty, but words matter. Words matter. So here you are, you jump into your racing career at really 30 years old, started dabbling at 25. You and your dad are like, let's take this to the next level at 30. You racked up quite the accolades. Now I'm going to document those and the listeners can hear it. Here's what I want to know without spending 20 minutes going through all of your trophies, accolades, and achievements, <laughs> because it reads like a sizzle reel, Aaron. It well, there aren't that many. It really reads like a sizzle reel. <laughs> Here's what I want the listeners to know. You're a badass. You have been on the podium multiple times in multiple races. But what I would like to spend a little bit of time on is helping people understand your type of racing. Because one thing that I realized how ignorant I was around motorsports even though I grew up around like watching motorsports, right? My family loves cars, loves motorsports. But I did not realize how ignorant I was around all the different types, right? People think of NASCAR. People think of drag racing. And that for the average person, that's pretty much where it starts and stops, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, and it's funny because I would say probably because of my background in motorsports and I always enjoyed cars and going out to the desert and dirt bikes. And those were things we did as when I was a kid, not a whole lot, but we did them, you know, occasionally. I would say that I am actually fairly, I will admit, still pretty ignorant about NASCAR, um, sprint cars in general and drag racing. There are events I haven't attended personally, um, other than actually, I think I did go to a drag racing event when I was young with my family, but I don't really know that much about them. And I don't know the people that are involved. I don't really understand the rules. Um, I'm sure they're not that different, but yeah, sports cars, I think are, are far more popular in Europe for whatever reason. And I think drive to survive has been great for F1. And I think that hopefully will trickle down somewhat into the sports car series that we have here in the U S. Um, at least it would be nice if it did. I think F1 explain what F1 is, if you don't mind. Okay. So formula one is sort of, if you drive carts as a kid and you know, you want to try to pursue driving as a career, there's a couple different pathways you can take. You can go the formula route, the pinnacle of which would be formula one. Um, and it starts formula four, formula three, formula two, formula one, and, and they call that the formula ladder. And a young person would start in carts and then try to get sponsorships and get with teams and, and move their way up the ladder. So Formula One is the pinnacle. They have a couple races here in the U.S., but mostly it's Europe and Asia. They are open wheel, open cockpit cars and very low to the ground, high aerodynamics. Um, so super fast, 
you know, fastest sports cars that drive on a road track. So we're talking about it now, you know, as you the progression from karting generally is to go to some sort of a road circuit, which is a track like Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca might be one of the more famous ones. And it's here in California. And it emulates what you might find on a mountain road, right? So it, it has a lot of the best tracks have terrain. And the tracks are designed to kind of, you know, take use of the, make use of the terrain. And you might have some blind elements where you're cresting a hill and you can't see what comes after that. Or, you know, there's a, you're going around a hill and you can't see where the road goes. So they try to emulate road racing, um, which was actually where the sport began in like the twenties and thirties, where people would just close off a couple of highways some roads and make a little course and run a race. And eventually that became a little too dangerous. So they built purpose-built racetracks. So then the other route would be like where I have ended up. And because the formula ladder is really quite tight and competitive, a lot of people choose to go the sports car route, or a lot of people will maybe start in the formula route and then kind of veer off towards sports cars. So that is a little more relatable for people because they look like cars they'll see on the street. They look like an Audi or they look like Mercedes or a BMW, you know, and there are prototypes and different things as you get into the higher levels of professional sports car racing that don't so much look like a sports car, but are still a closed, what they call a closed wheel, closed cockpit car, meaning that the wheel has fairings and fenders that sort of protect the tire and the wheel and the brakes, um, rather than being out on spindles, you know, unprotected. That was a long explanation, but <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, no, that's perfect because like I said, there's so many facets of this. And as I've gone through my learning journey, I was able to really narrow down the parts that I like. And there's different racing that would be fun to sit shotgun, so to speak. And there's other racing where I would never want to sit shotgun and only be in the driver's seat. Right. Yeah. And Duan Martinez class, which was a birthday present to me last year, that was a coming home for me. I'm like, yes. And that made sense to me. It was like meditation when I did that. It was a lot of fun. A whole lot of fun. I'm so glad you got to do that. That's so cool. For one thing, Martinez school is phenomenal. Um, she it really is. does such a great job. Yeah. Um, so that's DK Racing School. You teach there too sometimes, right? I have a couple times. Yeah, when my, when it works out with my schedule or mostly mostly when she has larger groups of women. So if she gets, you know, a, a handful of women female students, especially if they're at various different levels, then she has two of us uh, women instructors that she'll bring in. But yeah, I mean, I totally agree that being in the race car is like you'd think it's this like aggressive aggro adrenaline junkie thing. And I guess it is sort of, but it's also just this incredibly Zen thing. It's like everything else in the outside world and in your brain goes away and you are like completely focused on this one thing. And it is honestly the most beautiful (laughs) thing. It's just, it's unlike any other sport I've done. And I've, you know, I've done skiing and that kind of stuff, but this is so, you're so much more focused. I just got chills when you (laughs) said that, Erin. I agree with you. I have ADHD and calming my brain for air quotes, meditation. Yeah, man. (laughs) But when I was driving Dwayne's car, I was probably more confident than what someone who's never done that before. But it was, I mean, you have Dwayne building the car. I mean, how many people get to say, yeah, do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's like, eh, I feel safe in this car. But I would recommend anyone, anyone to go sit shotgun with an experienced race car driver at least 
once in your life. For the sheer thing that when I had the opportunity to sit shotgun with Martina, you start to really understand the limits of cars. It's almost like you learn something about yourself too, where it's like, okay, I know this is possible. Either you decide to push it or you don't. Now I decided to push it because I wanted to see, as soon as I saw what, what it was capable of, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. Totally. Never would have imagined that in a million years, honestly. Totally. And it made me a better driver. It made me a better everyday driver. Honestly, after that, I am a better driver. The challenge that I run into is that when I'm going really slow, my ADHD kicks in and I I start like looking around. I'm like, pay attention, pay attention. I'm like, boring, pay attention. Oh my God. Yes. What you just said, like I relate to that so much. And like, I, (laughs) this is terrible, but I get cell phone tickets like fairly regularly because I'm just like, oh my God, driving around in the city, like on these streets requires so little of my brain power that I just like my ADHD is like, pick up your phone and look at it. And I'm like, I know I'm not supposed to, but (laughs) it's just like, yeah, it's like, (laughs) and I try to just be, I'm trying that as like my new meditation. I'm like, just be in the moment. But yeah, it's so funny too about what you say about taking ride-alongs. Like, I mean, I feel like you can learn so much from it. It can also be tricky because sometimes then you have this idea that racing or driving at that level is easy, which it's so not. But it's just so mind-blowing. And especially like if you can layer it and sandwich it in with your own learning, you being a driver and then going and getting a ride. I think it's so cool. And I took a ride when I was testing and training for the 25 hours of Thunder Hill. We had an Audi uh, R8 LMS, a retired one, you know, chassis was a couple years old and they weren't racing anymore, was at the track. And Christian Fittipaldi, who's a incredibly accomplished, well-known, now retired race car driver was there and he was coaching someone else. And so everybody was like, you should go ask him if you can get a ride in the Audi. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, so I went and I sat shotgun and it was, for one thing, there was not supposed to be a passenger seat in that car. So it was like the most awkward seating position, but I, I just had never been in a car at all like that. And I honestly, like, I was like, we're not going to make this corner. There's no way this car can stop in time. The braking power in those things is unreal. And the first time you experience it, it's just like, you literally can't conceptualize it. And that was like the first lap. And then it just kept getting faster. And at a certain point, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to die. Like, I'm pretty convinced this is it right here. And I'm like, if I'm going to die, I don't want to see it coming. So I just closed my eyes for like four laps. And every time we would pass the like pit entrance off the racetrack, I was like, oh God, here we go. Another lap. And I was just like, it was, I was like way too, I was way too proud to say, to be like, I need to go in. So I sat there for like eight laps and like, honestly thought I was going to die. We ended up going back in and it was near the end of the day, but I got out of the car with Christian and I was like, whoa, okay. I kind of thought about it, processed it, got back in my own car and went like two seconds faster, which is huge. I don't, you know, for people who don't know about timing, like for us in racing, a lot of times we're chasing, you know, I mean, we're chasing a second or you're chasing half a second or you're chasing a tenth of a second, like to try to get up to the next guy. The next guy's a tenth of a second faster or two tenths faster. So to shave two seconds off your lap time, in like an hour and just just by taking a ride along was huge. So yeah, the power of seeing what's possible is so so strong and and every car is so different too. So it's cool to be able to see like 
okay, well, what, you know, what are the capabilities of this car? And then how does that apply to my car? Or, oh, can you take me out in my car so I can, so I can see what my car can do, which we do a lot of with our students at HPDE um, is like, okay, I'm going to go do a couple laps with me driving your car so you can see what it does and how it feels. And then you'll go get in back and we'll, you know, we'll do a Chinese fire drill and they'll get to drive. So it's just super powerful as a learning tool for sure. Yeah. Again, I strongly recommend anyone to do it. And you don't have to have some supercar to take it to the track. No. It really improves you as a driver. Like, honestly, I've kicked around the idea of when my kiddos start driving, take them to the track. Absolutely. Because it's the safest place to do it. Yeah. Everyone's going in the same direction. It's not like if you go do something like that, they're paired with the most skilled drivers out there that's whipping around. They typically put different groups together for a reason, you know? Exactly. And there's nobody turning out of a driveway in front of you. And, you know, there's not little kids. There's cows that get yeah. from behind the fence. That actually happened to me right. growing up. Come up yeah. over a hill and a cow's in the middle of the road. Like, seriously? Right. That generally doesn't happen. Uh, Occasionally, there are animals on the racetrack. That's the one thing that's harder to control. But there aren't kids chasing their ball out into the track. You know, we, seriously, at like VIR, sometimes deer run across the track and stuff. So you have to be careful. But um, oh my god, I couldn't even imagine. It hasn't happened oh. to me, but I've been watching broadcasts of like races that were happening earlier in the day, like before my race was happening, and the deer were running across the track. So then, you know, you're in your race. Sorry, there's a mosquito. I think. Um, so you're running your race, and you're like, oh god please don't let there be any deer. You're going down the back stretch, like watch it. But yeah, it's so important. And another cool thing that is sometimes available in some parts of the US are people do just driving clinics. It's not even at a racetrack and it's it's like in a big parking lot. Sometimes they wet the pavement down, but you get to basically experience going out and driving, you know, getting your car a little sideways or, you know, driving in, in a slalom or doing things. And you don't even have to be at the racetrack. And it's a lot more affordable because I know one of the things I think that keeps people from going to the racetrack and experiencing it themselves is that it's quite expensive. But I think a lot of people maybe don't understand why that is. Some places it's $500 a day. Some places it's $500 a weekend. It just depends. But the track rental itself, you know, the track has to pay for all the maintenance that they do. They maintain the runoff. They maintain the track surface itself. They try to keep the track as, you know, clean and safe as possible. They also have ambulances and tow trucks and EMTs on site in case anything happens. And so they're paying those um, people's wages and fuel and whatnot. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that go into a track day. So it can seem really cost prohibitive when you look at it, but it's honestly, it's so well spent. The money is so well spent for you to be able to learn how to be in your car more safely. And it's an opportunity to go get that out of your system. So then when you get back to the street, you're like, okay, I don't really feel like I need to go fast or be crazy right now because I just went and did that in a way more fun, cool environment. I want to ask a couple questions just to wrap our minds around a couple things. And the only reason why I know some of this is because when I did do that track, Dwayne was educating me. What a brilliant man and a good person. Yes. Him and Martina, just good people. And he was talking about there's this conception, this misconception around more horsepower, more horsepower, more horsepower. Because I remember going up there, I'm like, well, how much horsepower does this thing have? And he's like, you're asking the wrong question. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, it's not just about horsepower. It's about the proper horsepower 
with the braking power, with the weight distribution, with the shock. He's like, it's all of it together. You can have more horsepower, and if the other elements on the car do not equal or support that horsepower, it doesn't matter. It's so true. And I'm like, yeah. But with your car, Aaron, just to give the listeners, because they have like drag racing and NASCARs, typically <laughs> where people's brains are at, right? What kind of horsepower does, let's say, your class that you're typically in have? So the cars that we drive generally um, are capable of probably five to 600 horsepower, maybe some of them more, maybe some of them less. I actually probably can't tell you. I could ballpark it, but I, I don't really know what my car has on any given day um, because they use a balance of performance. And that's because it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, because I race with a bunch of other manufacturers, you know, there's this, all these manufacturers contributing cars to our racing class. They balance the performance between the different cars by putting restrictors in the motors to get us all to be about the same. So, I mean, I would guess that probably we're all usually running between four or 50 and 500, somewhere between 400 and 500 horsepower. But it also, like, the weight of the car makes a difference. So, like, you know, a big BMW is a lot heavier, so it might get a little more horsepower than, like, a really lightweight Porsche might not need as much horsepower to be kind of about the same performance. But, yeah, but, I mean, there's other things that are important. There's the size of the brakes and the material that the brake pads are made from and how's your stopping power. There's the aerodynamic element, you know, both ground effect for cornering, but the the aerodynamic stuff, the wing and the splitter in the front of the car, they help with the braking too, because when the nose of the car goes down, when you hit the brakes, you're basically making the wings bigger and that's giving you drag. So there's all these different things that matter as much or more than the horsepower in terms of the overall performance, because a lap time is really made in the corners more than it is in the straightaways for us. It matters how much speed you can carry in the corner, not really necessarily how fast you can go on the straight. There's another thing I want you to qualify for the listeners. Now, you had mentioned a race just in passing, 25 hours, right? 25 hours, yeah. 25 hours. <laughs> so a lot of people aren't familiar with those types of races. At a high level, can you kind of share with them, is that really 25 hours? Do you care kind of qualifying that and educating all of us on this? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not exactly sure how that started, but kind of like a 24 hour race is kind of like the pinnacle of sports car endurance racing. So there's kind of two types of sports car racing. There's sprint racing, which is like what a formula race would be where there's one driver. Um, maybe they change tires. Maybe they do a fuel stop. Maybe they don't, but it's probably anywhere from like 30 to 90 minutes. And then there's endurance racing, which can be anywhere from 90 minutes to 60 minutes, even sometimes 90 minutes to four hours to six hours, eight hours, 12, 24 hours. The Thunder Hill race is put on by a group called NASA, the National Auto Sports Association. And I, I don't really know how this started, but I would guess that they were like, oh, those guys over in France, they race for 24 hours in the middle of summer when it's like 14 hours of daylight and just a few hours at nighttime. You know what? We could do it in the wintertime in Northern California in the freezing rain. And we'll do 25 hours just to be cooler. And we'll do it <laughs> when it's 14 hours of darkness and only like six or seven hours of daylight. Let's do that. That'd be fun. So that's kind of, I'm sure how that race came about. But the whole endurance racing concept came about like Ferrari and Mercedes were building these cars back in 
I think like the 50s and 60s was kind of like the golden era of that endurance. Ford, Ford versus Ferrari, the popular. Yeah. And it was to test the cars and could they keep running for 24 hours? You know, were the cars, would they stay together basically? You know, now there's less of that. Now pretty much we know that the cars can go 24 hours. It's not a problem. Can the drivers go 24 hours without, you know, crashing each other off the track or crashing into something, um, dealing with weather conditions that change throughout the course of the 24 or 25 hours? And in those cases, you typically have a team of anywhere from three to five drivers, depending on the race and the sanctioning body and what the rules allow that you would do a pit stop and a driver change, you know, every hour or so, because that's about how long the fuel cells usually can go. And sometimes you'll hear of drivers doing double or triple stints. And that's sort of a way just to hopefully minimize your pit stop time because doing a driver change sometimes can take longer. But yeah, it's a really fun aspect of the sport that I particularly enjoy because it adds so many other elements above and beyond just like doing, you know, X number of laps. Like there's all this other strategy that's involved because it matters when other teams do their pit stops. It matters how quick your pit stop is and how good your driver changes and how quickly your driver adapts to getting into the car when they have, you know, the other driver's been out and they have adapted to the car, but the new driver has to be like, okay, what are the conditions like? What's the track like? What's the car like? So it's just a really cool type of race to be involved in and to spectate for even, I think. Aaron, what are you most proud of? It's kind of funny. You would think I would say that I'd be the most proud of my win last year where I became the first female to win in class in SRO GT World Challenge globally. And that was really cool. It was a good accomplishment. But it was one of those times when really the race was won more by strategy and by my co-driver's good driving than by mine. I had kind of been midfield, but we just had a really good pit stop. And then my co-driver drove a really great stint. Probably my best achievement or my proudest moment was that I got a pole position which means that you're first in class in your qualifying session going into the race. I got a pole position in class. It was my first time ever being on pole. Um, and it was in like mixed conditions, wet and dry track, which can be really hard to drive because you don't know where there's going to be grip and where there's not going to be grip necessarily. So I would say that probably was my proudest moment, just like being able to go out there and lay down, you know, the best lap among all my peers in but we're kind of challenging conditions. So that was actually a very cool moment. What has been the most challenging thing for you in this industry, you personally? Uh, a lot of things, but I think, I think the balance that it requires, the balance between, you know, you have to be a good driver, but there are so many other skills you have to have. And it's important to be as complete as possible in terms of like having media skills and having, you know, the skills to talk to your team and be a part of the team and understand what's going on with the car and the engineering and all of the different, you know, the technology and the data. I mean, being a driver these days, you have to know how to read data and sometimes how to do data yourself. Um, so I think just putting all of that together, taking all those separate pieces and putting them together to try to be more complete has been the biggest challenge and the most work. But I think it's also what's most rewarding because you do start to get to a point where you're really understanding everything and and it just lets you get to a whole other level, you know, in terms of your own performance, um, which it can also be frustrating then when things don't go right, just out the stuff outside of your control when you're putting all this work in and then things don't go right. But yeah, I think that's been the biggest challenge is just bringing it all together. If you had an opportunity to go back to, let's say your 29 year old self right before you got really full blown into it, 
What do you wish you would have known then that you know now? What would you tell that young woman? Again, (laughs) so many things. I think I would probably tell her to not be afraid to ask questions. I think I figured that out around 29. I would tell that to my even younger self, to not be afraid to ask questions. But that can be tough too, because sometimes you just don't know what questions to ask. But a really good question is just always why. You know, explain to me why, why are you doing that? Or why is that important? And then eventually you get to the point where you can ask even more intelligent questions. But I think that's the biggest thing is not, not having to feel like you know everything already and not having to like showing people that you don't know everything already, because that's okay. You don't have to come into things already being an expert. Even if you're at an upper level of something, you can still have questions and curiosity and everybody, everybody on my team, everybody that I work with, we're constantly asking why and we're all constantly asking each other questions and trying to just get deeper with it. It's like a constant learning experience that never, ever ends. And so I think I would tell myself that is to just not be afraid to not have all the answers right now. Before we jump into the red line round, I have been geeking out about asking you what it is like driving the NSX. It's an interesting experience. I love Acura. Good. (laughs) But that's a supercar. And correct me if I'm wrong, Erin, it is the new one, right? Yeah, it's the new NSX, um, new being, I think it's four years old now, the race car yeah. has been around for about four or five years. So Has it been that long already? Yeah, can you believe it? Gosh, time flies. Yeah. I can't, I can't. I remember when it launched and I remember <laughs> geeking out because the designer's a woman. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. And how her design got chosen was such a cool story. Like the designers submitted their designs anonymously and hers got chosen. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder if it wasn't anonymous, would hers have still been chosen? You got to wonder. She was the first female. Yeah. As the lead designer for a supercar. Yeah, exactly. Super cool. And I mean, I think you can kind of see it in the styling a little bit, maybe not, but to me, it's just a unique looking car. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting riff on the original, which was a car that I have always loved Me too. and always wanted to own and drive and I, maybe someday. It like has a respectful nod to the old. Yeah. With a new flair, which I think is cool. Yeah. It's so forward looking too, in a way it's like, I mean, it kind of looks like a spaceship and it kind of feels like a spaceship to drive it. It kind of sounds like a spaceship. I mean, not as much as maybe like an electric car. Those ones really sound like spaceships. But but yeah, it's just very nimble and very light in the hands. And it's been a really interesting car. It's super well balanced with the mid-engine design. And it's been a big change from the Mercedes I was in last year. But it's been a good one. And I really enjoy the people at Honda are fantastic. And I never really got to know many people at Mercedes, partly, I think, because we were still coming out of the pandemic, too. But I'm here in SoCal, and a lot of the Honda group is located here in Southern California as well. So I've gotten to know some of them. And that's been a really cool experience because it's a neat company with really neat, passionate, passionate people involved. Yeah. Women's Motor Fest. I've had multiple women reach out to us and ask, when are you going to have a women's motor fest in Southern California. And I'm like, okay. And it's been a few already. And just to put it in perspective, the first women's motor fest just happened in June, like not even a full month ago. And we've already had a few women ask and they're from California. So I don't know, maybe I'll have you do some road course driving, let them say shotgun and 
have an experience down there at Women's Motor Fest. That would be amazing. I would be into that. It would, right? Oh my God. Anytime to get women out on the track. Yeah. Whether it's in the right seat or not. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. And there's a woman that stumbled upon me through Lynn St. James's interview and Steffi... Ah, Steffi Bow. Bow. Yes. We're actually meeting with her on Thursday because she wants to get involved with Women's Motor Fest as well. Oh, fun. I love Steffi. We all do our part in trying to get more women in this industry. That's rad. And hopefully Women's Motor Fest can contribute to that as well by just getting them thinking about it more, right? You can really love driving your car. Definitely. Right? And driving it on the road's one thing, but you may really love driving your car. <laughs> you know what I'm yes. saying? Like, <laughs> yes. But the seed just needs planted. And I think Women's Motor Fest can do that for a lot of women. A lot of women. I would love to see it here. Yeah. And I, I was actually out to lunch with a, Amelia, whose last name I'm not going to try to pronounce, but she's the motorhead mama, uh, yesterday. And we were talking about how there's kind of a lack of really great events in LA. And I think it's because we're so spread out in Southern California, but I know we're all like looking for great stuff like that all the time. It's just, for whatever reason, it doesn't come together because it's tough to agree on a location when, you know, we're spread out around hundreds of miles of really clogged freeways. (laughs) But it's something that, you know, I think we really should try to make happen because it would be great to get people from different sides of the industry together and maybe have different types of, motor sports things happening, you know, at the same event, that would be so cool. One event, different activities to choose from. Yeah. And Aaron, I am up for the challenge. (laughs) I'm not familiar with California. I've never lived in California. If I can get some women to help me understand some of the things there in order to do that, I can definitely make that happen. So, ooh, the thought of that just sounds so freaking exciting to me. But um, yes. We're taking a step in the right direction. The more networking that happens between all of us women in the community across the U.S., the more likely these cool events are to really come to fruition. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think this is a good time to launch into the red line round. What the red line round is, five rapid fire questions, no right or wrong answer, just whatever pops into your head is the right answer. All right, let's do it. You ready? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny the reaction I get from race car drivers opposed to mechanics or painters is so different really (laughs) the race car drivers are like yes bring it (laughs) we're just used to it we're like yeah and the others are like "Ooh." (laughs) we're like nerves you're like yes now we're talking yeah like nerves i'm used to that i got this (laughs) love it it cracks me up man oh man all right aaron who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry my dad definitely my dad what's dad's name His name is Bill. Bill. Bill Vogel. Yep. Tell me a little more about Bill. Okay. So um, he actually, with his dad growing up, when they were in about high school, he and his brother and my grandpa used to do offshore powerboat racing. So he's been involved and interested in speed for a long time. And I think the best thing about him is that he never treated me differently because I was a girl at that time, <laughs> or now because I'm a woman, you know, he always expects that I'm capable of whatever I want to do. And he's always, you know, willing to help me achieve that. So I think probably without him, I'm not sure I would be on this path at all. Honestly. Oh, that's cool. Way to go, dad. Mm-hmm. Way to go, dad. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new 
or you get stuck on a job? I try to think about who I know that might have better answers. I mean, the internet's always a good starting place, but I try to use my network and find out who might know somebody who I can talk to and, you know, find the right resources or, you know, even just get great information from an expert in the industry. So again, not being afraid to ask questions. Out of pure curiosity, Erin, because I often hear YouTube, internet, right? I hear that a lot and that's fine. But your response interests me because it's consistent with other race car drivers that I've interviewed, Hmm. whether that's drag racing or fill in the blank. It seems like a trend around reaching out to mentors or peers opposed to internet. Why do you think that is? I think it's just easier to filter when it's in person or on the phone or whatever, when it's personal, because, you know, there can be so much stuff out there on the internet and you're not sure it necessarily applies to your exact situation. So I think mentorship or just that individual conversation is a lot safer. It's just a lot more put to the point. You kind of don't waste all that time, like picking through things. You just get right down to it. And I think also maybe because like sports car racing is like so many other sports in that a lot of the best drivers have or had at one point a coach. So there's a lot of apprenticeship and there's a lot of mentoring and coaching that goes on in the sport. So I think that's probably why that tends to be our reaction. I think we all build and grow within that network. And so we're just used to having those resources or knowing that somebody out there will have them if we don't know you know, exactly where to go first. When you said that a light bulb just went off for me, and I don't know why it didn't occur to me before, but if athletes have coaches, if skilled trades has apprenticeships, right? Right. Why wouldn't we have coaches or mentors for figuring out our financial journey? And I bring this up because of my company, Femcanic Tools. The whole goal of my sister company of Femcanic Tools is to put more wealth in women's hands. It's helping 10,000 women become millionaires. I love that. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me because it's a common theme I've seen in our industry, Erin, where I see race car drivers, I see women in motorsports, skilled trades, you name it, where they may get advertisers, sponsors, but it's to maintain their car, but it's not reflected in their take-home pay necessarily. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. How do you get more money in the women's hands and help them navigate how to grow their wealth? Right. And I happen to know a little bit about that. So, yeah, I don't know why it didn't occur to me, but it just makes sense. Yeah. It just makes sense. So what you're teaching right now applies to just about anything. Yeah, it's true. I mean... That's great. Yeah, whether it's, I mean, for getting sponsorship and for getting money. I mean, getting a mentor or somebody asking advice of somebody who's done it and been successful at it, you know, that's the best route. You can look at the internet all you want, but, you know, hearing personal stories, I think helps put it in perspective and helps give you real ideas as to what to expect. Absolutely. And I think that could be absolutely true for other areas of the financial journey for sure. Erin, what excites you most about what you do? I think the connections that I make with people I mean, we just talked about that, but it's not just the people. I mean, obviously, I work with some of the most amazing, smart, talented 
people in the world. And that's just super cool. And I feel fortunate to be able to do that every day. But I also get to meet some really neat people. I love our events at SRO at GT World Challenge America. We have a really open paddock and the fans can come right up to our tents or garages and be right there with us in the cars, watching us work on the cars, watching us do all the things that we do under the tent. And, you know, and we have autograph sessions and stuff. And I just love talking with people who come and experience the setting for themselves because I think it fosters a different sense of curiosity and it personalizes the sport for people when they get to see and meet you know, like real human beings that are doing it, you know, because I think otherwise we do feel a little bit like athletes and like we're like up here. But, you know, I'd like to I love to talk to young girls, for instance, and be like, hey, you know, you could do this. You want to get in the car? Come sit in the car. See, you can be a race car driver. Is there a moment where you were talking to a young girl that still sticks with you to this day? Have you ever had a moment like that? Lots. Which one pops into your head right now? The most recent one that was really cool was at Virginia last month, uh, Virginia International Raceway. And there was a girl and her, I think mom, maybe adoptive mom, because they didn't look <laughs> alike, but I got that like relationship feeling from them. But they came through the line and, and got autographs. And then afterwards they were waiting and they said, Hey, Aaron, you know, can we get a picture with you? And the girls often are very shy, but her mom was like, Hey, you know, she just started carting this year and she's, I don't know, 11 or 12 or whatever she is. You said 11 or 12. Okay. I think she's 11 or 12. I would guess 11 or 12. I think she, they maybe told me her age and it was, I think it was 12 maybe, but you know, she was like meeting you makes it seem like there's a purpose to her going karting, like beyond just having fun. And I was like, yes, this is the idea. And I'm so happy to meet you guys. They were a neat family and they were, it was just a cool thing to like, you know, to have them be like, yeah, you know, there are possibilities in doing this. And and just to meet young girls that are like, not afraid to go do that. Yeah, I was like, Oof. and moms who were like, yeah, I put my kid in karting. I was like, you are my favorite people right now. This is great. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Oh, that's awesome. What's a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? A personal habit? I think just perseverance, I guess. I'm stubborn. And I kind of, well, I try not to give up, which I think just helps me like, not that I'm stubborn and that I keep trying the same things. Like if I, something doesn't work, I'm like, all right, well, let's look at it from a different angle or, you know, what else can I do to, to be better at this? And I mean, honestly, from the time that I started racing to now, like my lifestyle and my habits look very, very different. I've made a lot of really positive changes in order to be a better athlete and have a better performance in my sport. Name two things you improved or changed. Um, my health, for sure. I've gotten stronger and healthier and I've lost weight. And I, you know, I don't actually, I gave up alcohol, which is kind of extreme depending on who you're talking to, but it's been a big positive change for me just in terms of like my recovery and my emotional stability and stuff. So I guess that's kind of two things, health and alcohol. Gotcha. We'll do that. Fitness and alcohol. Let's say that. <laughs> What's your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in this industry? Um, just have faith in yourself. I was going to say have confidence, but that's hard. You know, that's hard to do. But I think confidence comes from having faith in yourself and just knowing that you're worthy and that you're capable. And I think a lot of that comes from knowing that you're willing to do the work. You know, because I think if we kind of know we're not willing to do the work, then we kind of don't have that faith in ourselves, right? So it's it's just being realistic with yourself about what you're willing to do the work for and what you're not, and then figuring out that what that work is and doing it. 
And that will give you all the confidence that you need if you didn't already have it, which let's be honest, most of us aren't born with that, I don't think, you know, but it takes some ego. Imposter syndrome is a real thing, right? Holy cow. Huge. Yeah, we all feel that. I mean, the most eye-opening thing to me was to meet incredibly accomplished race car drivers who started karting when they were seven and achieved amazing things in their karting career and still feel like imposters in this sport. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's not just, not just because I started when I was 30, you know? So yeah, just know that everybody else is going. Isn't it wild how it creeps up on you? Oh yeah. And sometimes at the strangest times. Totally. Right? It's insane. Yeah, it is insane. And ladies, here you have Aaron, very accomplished race car driver. And it happens to all of us. The biggest key is keep doing it. Keep getting out there and keep going. Yep. You work through the imposter syndrome through action. Yes. You just keep going. Yeah, that was beautiful, Jamie. So true. Yeah. Get in the car and press down the pedal and keep going. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, metaphorically, get in the car. Yeah. Of life. Yeah. And don't keep it in park. Just go. Don't keep it in park. Mm-mm. Yeah. Full send. Aaron, where and how can people connect with you? Yeah, um, pretty easy. Mostly I'm on Instagram. I'll be honest that that's where I will engage with people the most. So at Aaron.Vogel.Racing on Instagram. I think even if you just put in Aaron Vogel Racing, it'll come up. Um, and it's the same for Twitter and Facebook. I'm just not as engaged on those, I'll be honest. But I do try to, to get on there and, and respond to messages and comments and things. I do love to engage with people. So like people should not be afraid to reach out. Sometimes the messages go into my little spam folder, but I try to check that from time to time. But I'll comment on my posts and I'll respond. And I love conversations. I love hearing other people's stories and sharing mine. Absolutely. Erin, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today and being willing to not only share some of your story, but educate, be a teacher. I really appreciate that because that's probably one of the biggest parts around bringing women into this industry is the education part because we make it bigger and more impossible in our heads yes than what it actually is yeah you hit the nail on the head and it it really is that simple right yeah you have a camry you have a van Heck yeah. <laughs> it's just about learning yeah it would be awesome i would love to go to the track and see a caravan <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> I think you could probably do that. There's a few rules about there's certain vehicles that can't come on the racetrack, but that's getting broader and broader as vehicles become more capable. So, yeah. But you're absolutely right. The funniest story I heard was in mid Ohio, they actually had a couple vans on the racetrack before. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's places like the Nurburgring and there's racing schools that will use vans to like give orientation laps. So they'll just pile people in like a 13 passenger van and then go hooing around on the racetrack for a minute and then be like, all right, go get in those Corvettes and drive. Yeah. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Totally relates. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, thank you for being on the show, Aaron. I am truly honored to have you on here. Thank you, Jamie. I'm honored to have been invited and uh, really enjoyed our conversation. I'm Aaron Vogel. I'm a race car driver and I'm a femcanic. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Femcanic Garage. 
Check out our website at femcanic.com for swag and the links to the resources shared during this episode. If you want to help grow this community, subscribe, rate, and review. And most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?